Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined as always by my friend and the founder and CEO of Startups.com, Will Schroeder. Will, it's not exactly a secret. You've been pretty vocal about this in a lot of places that you haven't always had the most healthy relationship with your startups, uh, past, present, and maybe future. We'll find out. Uh, you know, let's, let's go back in time, take a trip down memory lane. When did that relationship start? How did it start? And like, when did it start to go south? You know, it actually started like practically at birth, you know, but certainly in my childhood, <laughs> I, I, I had a tough childhood, which is certainly a part of it, but a lot of it came from, I had this huge insecurity, uh, that I didn't have security, right. That, yeah. that I needed to do something to get beyond this station to create a world where I could be self-sustaining and do my own thing. I'd not have to be reliant on other people who, you know, historically yeah. for me weren't reliable. Yeah. Well, that started things. And that became the impetus for what would be a very unhealthy relationship with work. And it started this sprint. The sprint looks something like this. I have to keep running as fast as I can so that I yeah. can avoid this big shadow, you know, this, this, this gray cloud that's, that, that right. was over me. And if I keep running, and if I run away from that fear about that insecurity, then I'm good. But if I stop, if I stop for one moment, I don't work harder, I don't keep pressing away from that fear, I'm screwed, right? The whole yeah. world's going to come crashing down. Uh, this, this awful thing is going to get me, and all my insecurities are going to, you know, come to the surface and I'm, my whole life is going to be ruined. That's yeah. how I started my career. <laughs> and I don't think I'm the only one. Is that what they call hitting the ground running? Yeah. It, you know, I think some people go into their careers and I'd be curious to, to think about uh, hear how you did it. Some people yeah. go into their careers with the idea of building more, getting more, accomplishing more. I went into my career by just out of sheer terror. I just wanted yeah. to get away from this dark cloud and I was willing to run as hard as I needed to for as long as I needed to, to keep that going. But the epilogue, and we'll, we'll talk through this, is that the cloud never went away. No matter what I accomplished, right. no matter how far I ran, it never went away. So my unhealthy relationship with work never went away. If you rewind, same trip down memory line, lane, yep. where does yours start and how does it develop? All right, so before we get into this next topic, I just want to let you know, what we talk about here is like 1% of the conversation. You know, really this conversation is going on all day long online at groups.startups.com where Ryan and I pretty much talk endlessly with founders about every one of these topics. So if by the end of this discussion, you like the topic and you want to dig into it a little bit more with Ryan and I, just head to groups.startups.com and we'll pick it up from there. It's also pretty early. Uh, mine was a bit different in that I felt like I was going to have to keep up with something, right? I wasn't running away from something. I was running towards something that I was not sure in any way, shape or form how I could live up to. You know, I had, my father was a larger than life character for me uh, and, and still in many ways is. Um, and it was always this question of like, how will I ever do that? Right. And, and there were some things that happened early on that, that kind of set that cadence. I saw how much my dad worked. And, and as a, as a, as a surgeon, he was always on, right? I mean, right. the phone would ring all hours night and this was back sure. when it was just a phone in your house. So when it rang, everybody heard it. So we knew, yep. right? The phone would ring all hours of the night and he was always on. So there was this sense that he had this, this kind of unhealthy relationship. I didn't see it that way. I just thought 
that's what you do. You're just always available, right? There's always right. going to be something that can, you know, pop out of the darkness and you have to respond to it. And, and I turned that into kind of a superhero quality in my dad's case. And so there was always the sense that I would need to live up to that same kind of standard. Um, the other thing, and, and this was one that came up kind of later in, in career as I, as I had kids and I started to realize like, there was something that was, that was, that he executed that I was again, not sure how I would do this for as much as the guy worked and he worked like crazy. And like I said, he was always on, he always found time to be there for our events, things that we were doing, right? He would, he'd pop out for an hour and, and show up somewhere and, and we'd be there and then he'd go right back to working. Uh, and so again, like there was this, this cadence that he had set around working all the time, doing all this stuff, but also managing to be present. And then I'm going like, wow, how the hell do I create that part? Like I got the, like, I can work really hard part. I can chase, but then how do I find an environment where I can also shift gears and be where I need to be or be where I want to be or be where somebody else wants me to be. Um, and so for me, it was always this sort of chasing this idealized, uh, state of work where, you know, I was working hard and accomplishing the things I wanted to, but I was also present. Um, and just setting standards for myself that one probably weren't even close to true, right? Like these were the, the, <laughs> the, the romanticized version of how all this worked in my brain. Um, and, and so that was a big driver for me. It was always sort of like, how am I going to live up to these expectations that by the way, uh, you know, to his credit, were never foisted upon me, um, always supportive, but never telling me to do anything. And somehow that made it even worse. It was like, if he had just defined an expectation, it would have been far easier than me inventing them in my head. You and I talk about this all the time, but these one, one-sided conversations that we have in our heads tend not to work in our favor. Uh, so for me, the unhealthy relationship started early by trying to build towards some uh, glamorized, romanticized version of what work and accomplishment actually meant and making them way outsized for what I was capable of at any given time. So the opposite of opportunity is yep. consequence. Yep. When you think about the consequence of not achieving or doing the things that, that your father would have implied, what does that consequence look like to you? Well, that's what's funny is that it, I wasn't looking at it that way, right? I wasn't thinking about it. You know, I had the, the consequences were that that meant I had failed, right? But we right. talk about this a lot too. Let's define failure. Let's talk about what actually happens if you fail. Do I end up destitute and then starve to death in, in an alleyway? Probably not, right? Maybe, probably not. Uh, but that was sort of how it felt. And there, there wasn't any spectrum for me. It was sort of achieve this and be successful or don't achieve exactly that and be a failure, right? There, there was no, right. like, there was no soft middle. It was either I win or I lose and it was binary for me. And that was part of what set up the, the you know, the, the really unhealthy conditions for how I treated work and, and how I measured what success looked like and all those things, which I have a much better relationship with it now. I've, I've gotten a little wiser as I've gotten older. Maybe I've just gotten tired of running so hard. Um, <laughs> but something happened where, you know, there was at least a, a mental shift. Uh, not that I've, I've got the perfect uh, relationship with work at this point, but it's, it's certainly better um, in terms of how I think about it at this stage. You know, it's interesting, you know, mentioned consequence. For me, consequence went out the door a long time ago, a long yep. time ago, right? I was early in my career. I made a little bit of cash and it wasn't that I made so much money that I'd never have to work again or I was so rich that I, you right. know, I just would never think about money again. It wasn't that, but I had made enough where I could buy a house, a car, furniture, you know, the stuff yep. that, that you try to go out and, and achieve. And I had some security in the bank. Yep. 
but nothing changed. And that's what kind of threw me. I thought for sure if I had achieved those milestones, because it was so clear. Here's the thing. When you don't have that stuff, getting it seems like such an obvious fix because you don't have it. So it's so binary. But all of a sudden, I was in this space where I had it, and I didn't feel any better whatsoever. And I'll say this. If I could choose between not having any of it and feeling shitty and having it and feeling <laughs> shitty, <laughs> I'll yeah. take the habit version. I'd rather be feeling shitty in the house I own, on the couch I own, having just returned in the car I own. That's yeah, what I'm saying. Sure. Like, I, yeah. I remember seeing uh, uh, you know, yet another billionaire say, money doesn't matter. It doesn't buy you anything. I was like, dude, that's because you have it. Right. <laughs> it yeah, matters sure. when you Hand don't. it over. <laughs> Unencumber yourself, friend, and, uh, right. and then tell me how you feel. But what was interesting was uh, the guilt didn't go away. I, I thought for sure that because I had achieved this basic level of security, that the guilt would go away. And I could say, I'm, I'm not going to run from that shadow anymore. And yeah. it turned out the shadow just morphed. Instead yep. of it being about basic survival, it all of a sudden became, well, if you've achieved this, that's your baseline now. If you don't achieve at least this going forward and more, yep. you're a total loser. You know who told yep. me that? Absolutely no one. <laughs> yeah. no one had yeah. ever said that to me i've got this uh story of my daughter this past weekend she did her first gymnastics competition and it was awesome and before she went on uh to do her routines i said to her i said when you see mom and dad in the stands don't look at us and think i have to perform wonderfully for us because we don't care and when i say that yeah. we hope you do great but what we're looking for is whether you're smiling whether you're happy, whether you're enjoying it. Because if yep. you're not, doesn't matter. So she does a competition. She wins some medals. And as far as she was concerned, she was Simone Biles. Like she won the entire Olympics, right? <laughs> yep. Which was awesome. That's awesome, man. But yep. here's the Feels interesting so point. Next morning, we get up. And uh, Summer, my daughter and I, we get up at like five in the morning. So we're sitting there, you know, enjoying our morning the next day. And I asked her, I said, uh, you've got these medals. How do you feel? You've got seven more competitions coming. How do you feel? And she said, it just means I need to do better. And I thought to myself, there it is. Yep, there it is. I didn't tell her that. I didn't even imply it. I said the polar opposite. And yet, here's this 10-year-old sweet, innocent girl that's created this pressure. This is how it starts. That shouldn't or doesn't exist. But it's real. It keeps you up quite literally at night. Keeps me up at night. It's interesting, right? So this happens in so many aspects of our lives, right? Where what, what once was the thing we strived for becomes our, our baseline now. And to some degree, you know, that's, uh, I'm sure there's some biology to that. There's certainly a lot of psychology to that. And it's understandable to some degree, right? Particularly, you know, if you have a competitive streak, a competitive, uh, you know, bent to you, if I've already achieved that, well, now I want to achieve more. I've done that. I don't want to just keep doing the same. I want to achieve more. Uh, so I, I get it, uh, th- but there have to be limits to that. Right? I think that's part of where we start to go off the rails is that we we just keep trying to achieve more and more and more. Um, and, you know, the, the float keeps rising along with the tide and there's just the baseline just keeps getting higher and higher and higher. Nothing wrong with that until you get to that point where like physically, mentally, emotionally, you can't get to that next level. And then instead of being really happy with everything that you've achieved up until that point, all you recognize in that moment is that I failed to get to the next level, 
Not that I beat the previous 32, right? I just totally. can't Especially beat the for next founders. one. Yeah, and, and as founders, that's it's such a painful thing to watch. And I think it was last episode I referenced a, a founder that I had talked to who was really down on himself around the fact that they hadn't hit the big hit with the within the VC uh, type approach they were taking, right? They were looking to do this massive scale. But what they had built, was a profitable, stable business with happy, healthy employees, except for him. Uh, and it was like, man, I can see this so clearly. And yet he can't because all he's thinking about was I reached for the next rung and I slipped. Not, I am really, really far from where I started. I have, I have come so far. I have climbed so high. And yet all that matters is the delta between where I am and that next rung, which is a small percentage difference from where I am compared to where I started, right? So right. it's it's painful. Um, I want to circle back on something sure. for, for a second, if you don't mind. The Because in the beginning, you were talking about fear, right? You're, you're running away from this idea that you, you won't be secure, right? You're scared and you, you want to fix that. And I get that one. Then you introduce another concept. And I want to see, do, do they coincide or is this something that came later? And that's around the the idea of, of guilt, right? So sure. did the guilt come in after you had achieved what you needed. Um, and so you weren't scared anymore, but now you felt guilty if you weren't trying to achieve more. Was that the case or what, what, how do those two things play together? Right now, uh, I think I mentioned, I've got two modes at this stage yep. of my career and it, it hasn't changed, which again is the whole uh, premise here. I either work all the time or I feel guilty. There's no in between. Yep. There's no not working and feeling okay. Now I yep. do take time off. I do you know, do things that aren't work. I'm not working a hundred hour weeks anymore. I'm just not, I also know it's not effective. Yeah. I also just can't. Uh, but the problem is like take today, for example, um, if I were to say, I'm going to go take an hour to do, you name it. Let me go in the yep. workshop and work on something. Do you know, hell even go to a doctor's appointment. <laughs> something yep. I have to do. I feel like I'm playing quality cooking. time. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel like I, I can only pay for it with guilt. And I know, hell, we're doing a podcast on it, dude. I know yep. this is a stupid feeling. <laughs> we were doing one of the, the founder group workshops uh, last week, and we were talking about just founder emotions and things like that. And uh, someone had, had written in the, in the chat, they said, uh, a little bit of guilt is a small price to pay for a better life. And I thought Oof. about that again. Makes total sense. I'm paying for a better life with a little bit of guilt, small price to pay. And yet I can't do it. I'm so conditioned yeah. to be in this messed up kind of world. And again, I'm well aware of it. Also worth noting, I'm at a point in my life, at, at my now late 40s, as weird as that is for, for me to say, where I can't, I can't let it go anymore. I can't kick the can yeah. anymore. Yep. Like this, it's no longer okay. It. Yep. 20s, 30s, 40s, or early 40s, I was like, oh, I'll worry about that later, right? Now I'm like, huh, I'm about halfway through life. I better yep. figure this shit out now. <laughs> because <laughs> yes. I don't have, like, I hope I live a long time. I hope you do too. But I, I don't have exponential amounts of time. And more importantly, right. with the time that I do have, I don't want to live it like this. I don't want to be in yep. guilt mode all the time. And I know no one else does either. But I found very, very, very few founders who've gotten past it. Hence why we're talking about it. Was there still something about the argument, a little bit of guilt 
is is a worthy trade for a better life. Did part of that still ring true for you or did that just sound like the womp, womp, womp buzzer going off? You know what it feels like? Weakness. There's this yeah. Gordon Gecko version of me that just feels like <laughs> lunches for wimps. And yeah. the only way to succeed is, is by being this Spartan warrior that's willing to, to fight through everything. And again, I'm telling you straight up, and I don't just say this, it's a horrible mentality. Right? Yeah. It served me in survival mode. It is my biggest enemy in the, the later stages of my career. Hence why we're talking about it again. Right. Right. And so I think at, at this point, Ryan, I can see exactly what's broken. I'm just having a really hard time fixing it. Sure. Sure. And it's fine. I mean, we, this, this is something that you and I, well outside this podcast, talk about frequently, mm-hmm. um, which is how do we change things like this, right? Once we're, once we're fully aware and, and we've talked it out, right? This isn't just something, this isn't a conversation that's just in your head anymore. You sure. and I have talked about this. You and Ellie have talked about this. And, and we've done all the things that seem like the things that you should do, right? Get it out of your head. Talk to somebody else about it get their feedback, get their support, get their permission, get, you know, get their, you know, whatever it is that, that you, you need. And we've done all of that, right? You came and said, like, I have a hard time walking away for even an hour um, without feeling like I'm letting you guys down or letting the company down, letting myself down. And we're like, that's not the case, right? Like, no, you guys appreciate have been super that supportive. Hour. I agree. Everyone around me is saying, like, go do something else. Despite all the evidence, right? We still can't let go of these things. And I think it's been hard coded for a long period of time. That's the thing. And so does that, it's interesting, right? So, and and I don't have any answers for this, but does that mean it's just going to take a long time for you to change the relationship? Or is this an ingrained pattern that you're just going to have to somehow learn to live with and work around? Um, What do you think at this point? Like, do you, do you think that you're, you're capable of changing this? I don't mean capable in in the sense of, are you up for this? Can you do this? Or are you a wimp? Right. (laughs) I I do. And I'll, I'll put it this way because I know at this point, there's nothing else that I can do in life or achieve in life that's going to be more important than this. Making more yeah. money isn't going to change anything. Like, I've already tried that. It didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> like right. like the, the problem is the same. It's in the same way people have all kinds of personal issues that they try to project onto something else. I'm yeah. not happy in my life, so it must <laughs> be my job, right? right? I'm not happy in my life, so it must be my relationship. And so they yeah. start projecting this onto all these other things thinking that once they fix that, well, once I make enough money, these other things will figure themselves out. Or once I find another partner, these things will figure themselves out. What we fail to realize time and time again is it won't. You you hear so few stories. And what people are saying essentially is this part of my life, job, relationships, whatever, is shitty. And I want to get away from that. What they fail to recognize, myself included, that moving to something else won't necessarily have a different outcome. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right? Like if you hated your last job, you probably hate your next job too. And people can't wrap their head around that. They can't, they can't. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. I mean, we, we have this specific thing that's making us unhappy and yet we will then pin the, the fix of that on something completely unrelated rather than focus on the issue itself. Right. Sadly, it's, it's a very, very common part of human nature. Um, I get sad when I hear that statement. So like, I'm just, I'm going back. I can hear it echoing over and over in my mind. Uh, the, uh, a little bit of guilt, uh, is, is a worthwhile trade for this, uh, for, you know, a, a, a better, better lifestyle, life. a better yeah. life. Right. Um, 
One of the one of the major problems I have with that is that there's there's no quantification of that, right? Like how much is a little guilt and over what period of time and to what what detriment to your to your your overall well-being? Um and then the the other side of it is how much better does the lifestyle need to be before you'll say it's enough, right? To the point we were making earlier, the bar just keeps rising. And so, you know, because of these fundamental flaws in the logic there, it's really hard to say that like, yeah, a little bit of guilt's worth it. I don't know. Maybe not. I mean, I would, I'd rather you see, see you not be guilty at all rather than well, have to make that trade. But is there some sense still, I guess I'm kind of asking the same question again. I heard, you know, your emotional response to it, but practically, do you feel like there's truth in that? Do you feel like, sure. yeah, it's okay to suffer a little guilt to get what we want? I think it's true, but I, I think that's actually not necessarily the whole problem. And I'll give you a mm -hmm. whole other side to this. Again, we talked about opportunity and consequence. Opportunity yep. are things we're hoping to get to, and consequences are things we're hoping won't happen. Right? <laughs> Let's talk about the consequence. So often ends up being the opposite as a founder, doesn't it? <laughs> right, right. Let's talk about the consequence or where that's sure. driving me. And I'll give, you, I'll give you a great example. For years and years and years, I thought that I needed to work myself to death, work like the, the, the office hero right? The office hours hero, where I had to be the first person in the office and the last person to leave. Why did I feel that way? Because I yeah. felt like if I didn't do that, the consequence would be everyone would just screw off, right? And no one would work hard and everyone would abandon this thing and, and whatever. Yep. And if they didn't see me working harder than everybody else, they would say, well, dude, he's not working very hard. So I don't have to work yep. hard. Why would and I? I was like, then yeah. the whole house of cards falls apart. And so for the longest time, uh, I came into work first. I was like in at 6 a.m. And I would leave work last, right? Like 11 p.m., midnight sometimes. And I'm not exaggerating when I say for probably 20 years, I had never driven to or from work in daylight. <laughs> it's just insane as that sounds. Explains uh, your current tan. That was, yeah, right? Yeah. Hence <laughs> why I'm so pale, I'm a vampire. But what I'm really getting at is what was driving me like people would say, oh, look at that ambition. He wanted to build something great. Not true. That's not why I was doing it. No. I was terrified. That's why I was doing it. When that alarm went off at 5.30 in the morning, I wasn't like, oh, can't wait to start my day. I was like, if I don't get in soon, the whole thing is going to come crumbling down. Yeah. Was there ever an indication that that was true? Did anybody ever tell me that? Did it actually happen? No, <laughs> that's the worst part about it. Yeah. I made that up. And I believed that if I didn't keep doing it, that the world would crumble. Now, here's what's funny. It got tested, Ryan. It got tested because we didn't have offices anymore. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I, I couldn't be office hours hero because we don't have a freaking office anymore. Would this be a bad time to tell you that like half the people on our payroll don't actually work for us anymore well, and haven't for like 12 months? Would this, is this a wrong time to, to divulge that? We just didn't know when would be good. You've been bankrupt for two years and no one's told you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, by the way, I just want to mention if what we're talking about today sounds like the kind of discussion you wish you were having more often, you actually can. You know, we're online all day every day working through exactly these types of topics with founders just like you. So any question you would have or maybe some problem you just want to work through, we're here and we love this stuff. And we're easy to find, you know, head over to groups 
www.startups.com. And let's just start talking. I, yes, I agree with all of this. Um, you know, we, we do, again, it's another one of these self-imposed conditions that nobody's asking us to adhere to. The other side of it is, look, there is some sense that we do set the pace. So this isn't, this isn't like we can just do whatever we want. Like it's called leadership for a reason, sure. right? We do have to set an example. Um, I, I think that where where I started to realize that there was a bit of a challenge here for me was when I was using myself as the, the only motivation, right? And I just assumed that there was this not quite linear relationship between my output and everybody else's. So I was like, if I wanted the rest of the team to push 10% harder, I'd have to push 30% harder, right? right? You can imagine that that doesn't work for very long before I'm pushing 240% and I'm just dead. So, right. I, I eventually realized like this is I, you can't just do that, right? You cannot predicate the entire performance just based on, you know, overclocking yourself and and running that much faster uh, and hoping that everybody else is, is going to keep up a bit. It's, it's not healthy for you. It's not a healthy way to motivate everybody else, motivate everybody else, because at best they develop the same fear driven sense of responsibility or a guilt driven sense of responsibility that you have. And they start having the same toxic relationship with work. Worst case is they don't notice that you're doing that shit at all. And nothing happens except that you're the one who's working more right? and, and killing yourself. So it's, it's such a, a dangerous, dangerous move. Um, but so, okay, let's, let's talk about the, the current state. So now we've, we've gone remote office. We've seen that, you know, um, you know, we don't have to be, you know, the, the energizer bunny to keep everybody else working, you know, a normal and, and productive work week. Um, how much did that actually change it for you? How much did that allow you to slow down? Did you start feeling less guilty by not working 60, 70 hours a week? No, that's the problem. <laughs> You're seeing a theme here. Consistent answer here. Yeah, well, what I learned um, without intention was everyone was going to work as hard as they were going to work. Yep. I could maybe, if I really, really, really pressed my finger down, get folks to work 10% harder for a very short period of time. Yep. But then what I became afraid of, now it's remote work, what if people aren't working at all? Right. Yeah. What if everybody's just hanging out on Netflix uh, yeah. and, you know, chiming in uh, from time to time on their phone? And then I thought about it. Well, you know what? For all people know, that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it occurred to me that I there's in this new world, if you will, there was no way for me to have that, you know, lead from the front, charge in first, charge in hardest mentality. Because yep. it just didn't really add up the way it used to. It <laughs> it's funny, but visceral. like it doesn't, right? It's not visceral. It's exactly the thing, right? There's there's something about being the first person into the office and the last person out. It, it does. It demonstrates something, right? Being the first Slack message and the last Slack message of the day does not have quite the same weight, does it? It's just not like, oh, well, I mean, I, I did something today. I was in first and out last night. Nobody cares. Well, because everybody's in first and out last. I mean, yep, exactly. so, so long as you're on Slack, you're you're in and out. I mean, yep, you could be in a hot right. tub for all anybody knows. Yeah, but, my Slack bot doesn't care where I'm at. Right. But and so look, what I realized was was how fruitless the effort was and how yeah. little changed when I abandoned the effort altogether. In fact, I don't I didn't get a chance to tell you this. Uh, a few months back, I was politely asked to stop posting, hey guys, how are you doing at four and five in the morning every day? Uh, because it was just straight up annoying. 
<laughs> yeah. I've, I've totally lost perspective on all of that because the things come through at random times. I'm sure I end up slacking people late because I'm anywhere between one and two hours, uh, you know, behind the, the, the vast majority of the team you included will. Um, and so, you know, like a four o'clock message for me wasn't, hasn't been that weird. Yeah, it did. Yeah. There were some coming through at like two and three in the morning. Those felt a little strange, but I, then I couldn't tell. I was like, is he still awake or is he? Yeah. 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 So bad. (laughs) Um, what I learned from again, being the hours hero was maybe there was a time and place for it. You know, maybe was there some point in either, uh, the stage of our company or the stage of my career where it kind of sort of maybe mattered, but here's the problem. I could never know because there was never a way to, to have a control to find out whether it was true. COVID hits, everyone bails out of the office. We're 100% remote, and we were pretty remote to yeah. begin with. And I just was forced to test that, that concept, and it turns out no one gave a shit as to whether <laughs> or not I was in the office. If anything, they were annoyed by it. And I, I guess as part of my psychosis and all this, I started to realize that I couldn't be constantly in the office or constantly at it and justify to myself that I was doing it because it was keeping everybody else motivated. Yeah. It actually just, it just got taken completely off the table. And that was a big moment for me to realize that where I I prided myself on having that level of commitment all of a sudden overnight, it was like the world just said, doesn't matter. And I was like, yeah, Oh, oh shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it became, well, which is funny. Cause I mean, it, not to say that it didn't matter. I, I think it matters less now. What we don't know is exactly, or maybe it doesn't matter at all. Now we don't know exactly how much it mattered before, but suffice it to say, probably not nearly as much as, as you had hoped. You know, if you look at our glass door, one of our top featured benefits is actually, uh, Will's in San Francisco three weeks out of the month. Um, nobody <laughs> so. even knows I, I moved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where like, I think it's an, it's an outmoded trope, right? I think yes. that, you know, this idea that, you know, we're, we're these badges of honor that, you know, used to, used to mean something maybe, or at least were a little bit easier to excuse as maybe meaning something that we're just all pretty clear on now are, are not what, what we'd hoped. I and mean, we dedicated an episode to this, uh, actually probably more than one, um, at least the one where we talked about, you know, the 40 hour work week and measurability of output versus just, you know, time and saddle, um, which is related to what we're talking about, right? Like, you know, being the first one and the last one out, um, brings with it a whole hell of a lot of assumptions. And and we've talked about a lot of these in the past, but one of the main assumptions is that all of those hours are equal, right? And that we are absolutely having the same level of output. So if if I'm there 12 hours a day, it means I have 50% higher output than people who were there just there eight hours a day. The reality is probably not true. There may be somebody in that office who's just a superstar at what they're doing, who gets what you do in 12 hours done in four, right? right? So who's the real winner? Um, so yeah, it, it reinforces that point that we, we have to be really, really careful how we measure these things. And and in particular, like in this case, what type of nonsense that leads us to embark on, like spending decades, um, in, in the dark, right? In your case, right. Only being outside of the office, um, at, at twilight or, or dawn. Yeah. Um, not good for you, right? No, it, you know, being forced to contend with it is yeah. the only way it went away. I, yep. I didn't have a choice. It just went away on its own. The whole world stopped. Yeah. And so I was forced to, to contend with it, which kind of makes me wonder, do I need to break up with work? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and I think it's important to say, I'm not saying 
do I need to stop doing my job? I sure. love my job. This is my dream yeah. job. It's for both of us. That's the whole reason we yeah. built this. And I think this is where it throws people a bit. Because it normally, does. This is where it gets really tricky. Right. Normally we say, uh, I'm guilty or I'm this or I'm that. And so I need to stop doing work. I need to sell my company or I need to move on to something yep. else or quit my job, whatever it is. I need to make that change. This is one of those cases where I actually can't get a better job. <laughs> That's the whole yep. reason we built it <laughs> is so that I could do exactly this all day. Yep. So I know the control in this experiment is that there's nothing else I want to do. So it ain't my job. It's me. Right. But I also know I need to break up my relationship with work, kind of how I relate to work and like how I think about it, how emotionally it makes me feel. And probably as we're talking through this, all of the different assumptions that I've come to believe are true, yeah. that probably aren't, you know, that I, that I need to feel guilty. That's clearly not true. But I'll tell yeah. you this, man, I genuinely feel like if I stop feeling that way, I will become this homeless loser that I will, I'll, I'll lose everything and, and, and I'll, I'll be a shell of myself and, I genuinely feel that way. I got to say it's, it's, it's funny. Cause I mean, you, you look at that slightly differently and it's, it's not the guilt that does it. It's the motivation, right? If you stay motivated, right? None of that happens. Right. And so how do we start to separate and isolate those layers that say like, look, I'm driven by guilt. Well, the important part of that sentence was I'm driven, right? Right. The, what you're driven by, right? And, and can you change that relationship, right? There's right. sort of a really, really big assumption there that says I can only be motivated by guilt. That's it. That's the one thing that drives me. Nothing else is going to get me there. So if I don't have guilt, I have nothing. Um, kind of hard to believe, right? And maybe, maybe it's true. I don't know. Um, I've certainly seen you motivated by other things. I don't think that it's purely uh, guilt that motivates you. Uh, maybe it's just the, the, the strongest feeling, Right. And maybe it's the one that's, you know, the, at, the, at the forefront and the one that you're most, I'm going to say, comfortable with. And I don't mean that in like that it feels good, but you, that know you well. accept that that is part of this equation. You know it, right? The devil, you know. Uh, and so it'd be, it'd be really interesting to figure out like how we start to explore some of that and say like, well, okay, if not for guilt, like what else can I substitute, right? Is there a stevia to the sugar of guilt? Like how can I, <laughs> how can I still get that same sweet flavor without all this bullshit that comes with it? Um, and I don't have an answer. What's yours? It, it, like, you know, mine's clearly guilt, but what's your driver? What's the fuel that, that keeps you going? I think it's still for me, it's still like, and, and again, like I've tried to become more reasonable, realistic and, and objective about some of this stuff hasn't entirely worked, but for me, it's still more about trying to live up to some of these, these, I'm going to, I'm going to air quote, your standards uh, that I wanted to live up to, right? These standards that I absolutely created out of thin air uh, based on a five-year-old's view of the world. Um, sounds smart, doesn't it? What's an example uh, so, that you could think of? Yeah. So, so things like the, and, and so this is one that I'm actually quite, quite proud of that we've achieved. We, you and I together in this whole, this whole thing that we're doing um, is my ability to be present for my kids, right? So, you know, there, there are standards that you want to hit in a lot of different levels. You might say like, I want a certain salary, right? Well, does that salary come with traveling 300 days a year and never being around? And so is that negotiable, right? Can you, will, will you accept that to get that other thing, right? That's where that guilt comes in to pay for the lifestyle. I don't want sure. to be guilty about what I'm doing with my kids to pay for the, the better life, right? Is that objectively a better life at the end of the day? 
probably not for the kids. Um, and so, so that's one of them. That was a really, really important one for me was to be in a position where, you know, I, I'm not playing hooky, but like, if there's something important that I need or want to be there for, it's not like, Ooh, that just can't happen. There's no way that can happen. Now, sometimes I do make those trade-offs. We've talked about this. Sure. It doesn't mean that we always pick what we want to do or what's best for us, right? We're not, we're not in that position. Um, but the vast majority of the time, I feel fully liberated to be able to make that decision and say, I'll be where I want to be in that moment, knowing that I'll make it up some other way, right? But in some cases, people haven't built their lives in a way to allow for that. They, they, haven't, they haven't made those decisions. They haven't chosen to build a life that accommodates that. Uh, and so that was one for me. So that was one where, you know, I, the, the standard that I wanted to live up to was that in any moment where I felt like I wanted to be there for my kids, or even more importantly, I feel like they want me to be there for them, then I want to be able to do that. A great example this morning, my, my 10-year-old uh, has been having a little bit of anxiety around heading to school which is really bizarre because out of the three kids, she loves school. The mm -hmm. other two are in open revolt most days around school. <laughs> Hannah, on the other hand, wants to be there. And yet when we get there, she's like, I feel nauseous. I feel this like that. Or, uh -huh. oh, I forgot something. I should, we should probably go home and get it. Oh, she boy. didn't forget anything, right? So she's just having these little struggles. And so today she came into my office and I don't know that she's ever asked. She'll ask me sometimes, are you going to take us to school today? But she specifically asked this morning, can you take us to school today? Can you take me to school today, Dad? And, you know, I didn't even think about it. I knew I didn't have any calls. I knew there were some things I wanted to get done. Uh, but it's like 730 in the morning. And I thought, yeah, absolutely, I can. I didn't have to think twice about it. I right. could just say yes. That is one of the standards that I wanted to be able to live up to uh, that I have achieved, right? Mm -hmm. There are a whole bunch of others that I haven't, right? Like... I loved riding around in my dad's Porsche as a kid. I've yet to buy a Porsche for my kids to ride around in. Damn it. Like, I think they need one. I yeah, feel well. like, I feel like they're leaning into that. And if boy, you need to be talked into the it, mountain you're roads the right guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, the, you know, there, there's all kinds of things, but you know, I think that, um, as I started the other, the other thing was a lot of those melted away over time. And I just started to realize how much less important some of those things actually were. Uh, than, than others, right? So uh, another big one, and again, this is one that was kind of set by my father, uh, we traveled a lot. I mean, at one point, we didn't have a home. We were, we were you know, a very upwardly, mobily homeless. Uh, we, we traveled in a motorhome for a year and a half. It was such an incredible experience um, to go through. And it's one of those things where like, how am I going to recreate that for my children? I, I don't know I, yet. I don't have... Um, I don't have, so that was one of the interesting things. My dad loved his job. He absolutely did. He loves it in a different way than I love what I do, I think. Um, and he had a different ability to kind of turn that relationship on and off. So he just sold his practice at one point. We traveled for a year and a half. Mm -hmm. I can't do exactly that, right? I can't sure. just disappear for a year and a half. You're like, hey, I'm just going to pause. I'll be back. Um, I'll just open a, a new one, right? You can't just do that, right? It's not right. the same thing. It's not as easy to recreate what he had. And so I've had to be sober and, and mindful that there are significant differences between how I have achieved some of the same things that he did. Um, and again, like this makes me sound like I've just got this checklist and scorecard of things my dad did that I have to accomplish. And that is true to, to a degree. Um, but I've also been mindful that there are experiences that I didn't have as a kid that I want to create for my children too. 
um, and experiences that he didn't have for himself that, that I want to create. And that was where I really started to think about what was that relationship between my father and work that led to some of the things uh, that, that ended up being quite negative um, later in life for him, uh, his health, his weight, uh, his, his, his stress, all of these things um, that eventually compounded into some very, very serious uh, health issues that have had now permanent consequences. And so I have been uh, very adamant now in the last, you know, probably decade of my life and even more so like kind of, you know, I'm mid forties now uh, heading into to late forties soon uh, being much more aware of like what the value of that relationship is. My, my relationship with me and my wellness, my health, my well-being, and how that interrelates and, and reacts with work. And so I think that was something where I can look at my father and say, he didn't set a great example, right? He, that is definitely something he, now great example in that he provided the anti-case, right? Like don't do this. Um, but this isn't something I'm following him into. And I'm trying to be far more cognizant about how I shape my life and my work relationship, um, such that I can maintain my health because, you know, like you said, you can make plenty of money. You can, you can have all the things you, you, you have, but if you know, you're not in a position where you can actually enjoy them physically, mentally, emotionally, what good is it? I agree. I think if people are listening to this and are, and are starting to relate to what we're saying, I'm hoping they come out with a couple outcomes. The first is I'm hoping they realize that this is a real thing. <laughs> it's yeah. not just, you're not the only one dealing with it. We are all dealing with this. We're all dealing with an unhealthy relationship. And some of these relationships are better than others, but it's pretty common. I, I don't, yep. I've yet to meet a founder who's got this one figured out. <laughs> On top of that, if you're early in your career, and like a lot of these episodes, I hope you're starting to take notes on this to yes. say, I don't want to do that. So if I see my early indications of these behaviors, I need to change them. I need to go yep. down a different path. On the other hand, if you're Great later point. in your career, I hope you're listening to this saying, you know what? I'm kind of in the same boat as, as these guys. If, if I don't change some stuff soon, there's no version where this gets better. I can't right. outwork it. I can't out accomplish it. I can't do anything unless I fix it right now. And even though you and I know where things are broken, I think it's kind of like losing weight. It's not like you don't know how to, it's not like you can't figure it out, but holy cow, doing it is yeah. really hard. And my hope is that as folks are listening, as folks are responding, you know, we talk to people, you know, all over on this, that they start to take this super seriously, that they talk to other founders, take it super seriously, and they start to say to themselves, I'm out of time. It's got to be fixed now because ultimately it's all that matters. All right, so that was fun. But let's actually keep this conversation going. You've heard what we think about this, but you know, Ryan and I would really like to hear what you think. And we're online like all day long, pretty much talking about every startup topic you could think of from fundraising to customer acquisition to just really how to get all of this crazy startup stuff out of your head. And there's tons of other founders just like you. They're weighing in on these topics. So you'll get a chance to just hang out and meet some really smart founders. We're also super, super easy to find. You head over to groups.startups.com and let Ryan and I hear what's on your mind. Let's get to know each other a little bit and let's just start having more of these conversations.